Hello, and welcome to Take Me to Eternity, the podcast where I talk about topics in the church and life through a biblical lens. As we struggle between flesh and spirit, I pray that I can help you learn to live blessed in this fallen world. I am Leah Fiore, and I'm the host of this podcast. In the last episode, I started a foundation for what the new Apostolic Reformation is. If you haven't listened to that one, I would suggest starting there. In it, I lay the groundwork for understanding better what they say and why they say it. When I speak against the things that I'm talking about or call out these teachers, I want you to know it's out of love and hope for change. I pray for these people and their followers that they may find the truth and choose him. The things that I'm talking about are being widely promoted in churches, YouTube pages, music, pretty much all over the place right now. I'm going to jump right in. 2 Timothy 3, 13-17 says, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom through scripture. He helps us learn truth through it. And the people that I know who have been in the word the most and the longest say there's always learning and growing to be done in the word. It isn't exhaustive because it is living and active. When we're continuously in the word, we're being trained for battle, and we're being guarded against heresy, against false doctrines, and against almost truths, against anything brought up against God's truth. Striving after experience is something the pagans do. We aren't to do that. We seek God and his righteousness, and he gives us everything we need. Psalms 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The idea that you have to do anything on top of what Jesus did in order to be saved or show that you are saved goes against what we're taught in Scripture. It's all that we need. We know that there will be wheat and tares together and that we won't know exactly which is which. Jesus didn't say it's almost finished. You just need to do your part. He said it is finished. The work has been done. When they say that you must be delivered from this demon or that generational curse, you must speak in tongues or heal the sick and prophesy, they're putting burdens on your back that God did not. Matthew 23, 1-7 says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels on their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. 
These people love to be called apostles and prophet. They do sermons on how great they are and how much they can glow in the dark. They set themselves in places of unquestionable authority with statements like God told me. They speak of how many people they have healed, demons they cast out, how often they have visions and Jesus coming and apologizing to them. I know the stuff that I say sounds crazy, but these are things that are being taught right now and um, promoted. Part of the reason that I say that the NAR is legalistic is the way that they make themselves out to be the standard of Christianity. When they say that if you are a Christian, you will be healing people all the time and speaking in tongues, they add that into the gospel. Essentially, it becomes a standard that the Bible doesn't set. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. We need to make sure we know the word and what it says in context and be careful to stick to what it says and not what we want it to say. Matthew twenty-three thirteen through 15 says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. The NAR teaches an absolutely narcissistic view of Scripture. They look to the text to prove their point instead of changing their heart. They beg for money or seed offerings in which they promise you miracles and abundance. They don't care what your financial situation is. They want you to give or you won't get blessed. They teach that health, wealth, and prosperity are guaranteed for today. That it is always God's will for you to have these things. And that if you don't, you haven't given enough or had enough faith. It's a dangerous burden to put on the backs of a desperate generation. Unfortunately, by teaching a prosperity gospel um, and a word of faith gospel, they are mixing and matching and mushing together different ideologies, and it makes it really hard to see who the NAR is and who they are not. I really believe that people get led astray by the things they lust after, but I still have a sadness for those who fall prey to those cult-like leaders. We should all pray that they see the truth and know him and turn to him to be saved. I really have to get into the Passion Translation, a little bit at least. They call it a translation, but you can't even rightly call it a paraphrase. I've looked into Brian Simmons, the writer of the Passion Translation book, and watched him speak quite a bit. If you'd like to understand a deeper level on his lack of qualifications and pitfalls, I would say you should go watch Mike Winger's videos. He's done a ton of work on this. He goes way further into it than I can in this podcast. He has real biblical scholars who are qualified and actually translate the original text to go through this book and tell him what they think. It's quite fascinating to see some of the things that they have to say. 
Brian Simmons said that the angel named Passion came and told him to translate the Bible. He has done various books of the New Testament and doubled the amount of words in the books that he wrote. Essentially, they aren't the Bible anymore. They're books with biblical undertones written in such a way that adds his beliefs. The reason I'm bringing this up is because in the NAR, this is widely pushed. People like Bill Johnson use it to preach from the pulpit and endorse it, saying it's the greatest thing that has happened in his lifetime. Brian Simmons not only is not qualified to translate, but he did so pretty much void of any people that are qualified. He said Jesus came and helped him translate Romans. He talks about trips to heaven, and in one he says that Jesus brought him to heaven's library, and in the library he saw a book to which he tried to steal. It was the 22nd book of John. Yes, you heard me right, the 22nd book of John. He said Jesus told him, someday, he will give it to him. He says that it is a book that is the greater works generation. He says, John 14, 12 says, you will do greater works than these, and John 22nd will be the people who do the greater works than Jesus did. He said it's a book that's unfolding, and the greater works are being unfolded by an entire generation. He is effectively lining up to add to scripture while at the same time saying it won't be adding to scripture. It kind of reminds me of how they prophesy and how they say that they can prophesy these things and be wrong, that they could hear God wrong and it's okay. This as a whole is egotistical. How much more egotistical can you be to think you can rewrite the Bible? Add new books to it and your own spin. They put their new interpretations of things, new revelations if you want to call them, above what scripture has always been interpreted as. They are coming out with new interpretations and saying God told me or an angel told me and using that to interpret passages and in effect making doctrine from these interpretations. It really makes me think of the Mormons and a ton of other um, cults that do this. They look too much at themselves, giving themselves too much power in the process. They know that they could be wrong, but then when they talk about some passages, they explain this new revelation and say it couldn't possibly mean anything different. I have seen this done a lot of times now, and that isn't how we look at scripture. God didn't allow his word to not be understood until now. Scripture was meant for people to understand, and if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, he will help us to properly understand Scripture. If someone is showing us new things that no one has ever seen in Scripture, they're wrong, and could very well not have the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying if they're saved or not, I'm simply saying that it's not okay to do that. Proverbs 25, 27-28 says, It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. Like a city that's broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. And Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We're to look to scripture and not to ourselves. So often I wonder who this puny God that they speak of is, one that needs so much help and can't be heard unless we are on the right frequency. 
He just can't come back until we make the world acceptable to him. 2 Peter 2, 1-20 says, Yes, I know this is long, but I want you to hear the context of it. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah and a preacher, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water, and mists driven by a storm, by whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity they enticed by fleshly desires, by sensuality those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, they are again entangled in them, and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. The emphasis is always on them and what they do or should be doing. Our focus should be on the work Jesus already did, but they focus on their own works and your work 
or experience are never enough. There's always more to be done. People shouldn't be so concerned with what the spirits do and what power they think they have. They say, Holy Spirit, come. They say more, Lord, over and over again. It is, what can I get or what can I do? They want new revelation and fresh anointing. At places like Bethel, who has a school that teaches these things, it's called Bethel's School of Supernatural Ministry. They teach how to prophesy by telling you to say whatever comes to your mind. Ezekiel 13.2 says, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, who prophesy and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, Listen to the word of the Lord. Prophecy is a gift from God. It can't be taught, and what's more, it doesn't come from your own mind or your own heart. They prophesy wrongly often and encourage it. God's word is never flawed, though. And when we look at the criteria for prophets in the Old Testament, one was that they don't ever get it wrong because God doesn't speak wrongly. It shows us that when God speaks, there's no doubt that he's speaking. It's not an internal voice you have to question. I have a podcast coming on prophets and apostles that will go further into this, though. When you watch people who call themselves apostles and claim to have the same power and authority as the big A apostles of the Bible, it's pretty bizarre to watch. People like Catherine Crick, who go around casting out demons. When you watch her videos, it's abundantly obvious that it is a show. Some of the people she makes pay first, saying you must sow a seed to unlock the freedom of the one demon-possessed. How disgusting is that? These people think they have the power to release keys to unlocking deliverance. This is to take the place of God himself. We don't have that power. God does. There are no examples of people having to pay to be delivered in scripture or long drawn out processes for deliverance. Jesus commanded and the demons obeyed. When you promote occultic and new age practices, you have a greater risk for opening people themselves up for demonic influence. And that is what we're seeing many of them do. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Acts 19, 11-12 says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. He calls the healings and exorcisms extraordinary miracles. Someone who walked around doing them all the time while everyone else was, I would think wouldn't act like they were extraordinary, like they were out of the norm, something unusual. They bring spiritual warfare to a whole other level, completely extra-biblical. They teach that we have to go up against these demonic forces and cast them out, bind them and decree and declare, breakthroughs over strongholds. Some of them teach that you have to call out demons by name in order to cast them out, and there's a spirit or demon under every rock in every town and city, and I'm not joking. They think that these demons are making people sin. 
They do spiritual mapping, finding what sin is prevalent in an area, and they bind and cast out the demon they say is causing the problems in that area. Because as they say, the gospel can't flourish in an area if you don't. Don't you think the Bible, if it equips us for everything, would talk about this if it was necessary? This stuff is being taught from the pulpit. There are books written on it. This isn't sideline teaching. This is what is dominating these circles. They're getting more bold as they speak about it, too. A huge problem with the way that they teach and what they believe is that their authoritative structure is wrong from the get-go. They believe they have divine authority that we've never seen, one that in some cases Jesus didn't even model. Their head is man, and their end goal is abundance. Our head should always be Christ. We are subservient to him. We aren't divine. He is, though they try and teach that we are too. The Holy Spirit is divine, but in indwelling us, that doesn't change our nature to divine. It simply empowers us to live the way we are called to. The foundation is never us. It should always be God. When we look to man as our authority in revelation and biblical teaching, like they're doing, essentially, we're going backwards and making it so we need another mediator. They're putting themselves up as the mediator when, in fact, we all have the ability to go into the holiest of holies through the atonement of Jesus. When we are clothed with his righteousness, we don't need to strive for anything. We need to submit and follow him. There's an utter lack of fear and reverence for God and his word in this movement. Jen Johnson, Bill Johnson's daughter-in-law, equated the Holy Spirit to the blue genie from Aladdin. For those of you who don't know, a genie or a jinn is a demonic spirit. It's utter blasphemy, and she spoke this multiple times from the pulpit. There's a huge part of this movement that talks about believers being demon-possessed and needing deliverance. I don't believe that a believer can be demon-possessed. Matthew 12, Jesus is said to be working through the power of Satan, and Jesus says in verses 25 through 29, And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property, unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? This says, Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house? meaning Satan's house, i.e. the person demon-possessed, and carry off his property, the demon. When we are saved, we are property of Jesus Christ. Satan has no stake in us. We are bondservants of Christ, and therefore, as his temple, his church, his property, you cannot therefore have evil living inside you. He is our strong tower, our help, our hope. He redeemed us and healed our dead spirit gave us a new heart, and we are new creatures. What does darkness have to do with light? Matthew 12 later talks more about demon possession. 
it talks about a demon leaving a house and wandering around. And in verse 44, it says, Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. If it were occupied, it wouldn't have access. The Holy Spirit is not going to share his temple, and Jesus cleansed us from all unrighteousness. He breaks every chain without the help of any person. It's all about what he does and not what we do. If the Bible says we have all that we need in God and we don't need a mediator anymore, I believe that means for all of our needs. If we needed deliverance, he would give it to us. Our deliverance comes to us from God. He is our helper. We don't need to seek others for it. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we repent and are saved, we are purified. We as Christians can be oppressed, but Satan and his minions can't control us. They have no rights to us. They can't make us do anything. If the fruit of having the Holy Spirit is self-control, that means that we have to be able to have control of ourselves in the first place. Yet this movement highly pushes Christian demonic possession and the need for deliverance from the help of these ministries who say they have the keys that you need and they can unlock your deliverance. But it simply isn't biblical. And in fact, it's binding on the people who believe them. They sometimes tell people that they need multiple deliverances. The NAR always reminds me of Simon the Magician in Acts 8. We can't buy the gifts, but over and over again we are told, you can buy the anointing, you can buy your deliverance, you can, buy, you can pay to be an apostle, you can buy the ability to learn prophecy and healing. To say that this is what every Christian should look like, and then say here is how you, you have to give us money, is making a mockery of God's established order. God is so gracious that he gives us gifts as he pleases. You can't buy them, you can't learn them, and you can't be given them by humans. Matthew 21, 12-13 says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. One thing that this group did for me while I was listening and following them was that they made me doubt my own faith. I am someone who has spent my life dealing with severe anxiety, severe social issues, bipolar disorder, depression. I seem to always be not feeling well due to extreme allergies and different medical ailments. When you spend time listening to and believing what these people are saying, it makes you wonder why you weren't healed. Why do you still struggle? How do I become more like them? Why doesn't God talk to me in the way he talks to them? Why can't I heal the sick? Why can't I be healed? I want to be all the things that God wants me to be and to live the life he created me to live. And when you're told over and over that you're supposed to be healing people and having conversations with God all the time, it makes you wonder why you can't. Does God not love me enough? Do I not have enough faith? 
I was told that it was pride that made it so I can't hear from God. It was too much self-control. I was told that a lack of faith held me back, that I needed to let go of control of myself. It wasn't until I really started looking at the Bible to see what it said about these things that I had any real peace about my relationship with the Lord. It's such a burden that weighs you down and brings you to a point of hopelessness. They spend so much time talking about what they can do and what you should be doing. It makes you feel less than. I know people who almost died after being healed, quote unquote healed, by these people multiple times. They said this person didn't have enough faith, but he had enough faith that he stopped taking and got rid of his life-saving medication. He's blessed to be alive right now, and God is using him big time as a blessing to other people. 2 Timothy 3, 1-8 says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This passage says so much. It could be speaking about exactly the people in this movement. There's a danger with people saying, thus says the Lord, or as most say, God told me, or God showed me, or God put it on my heart. In saying this, you're making yourself untouchable, unquestionable. By the God said vocabulary, they're setting the standard to what they say it is, and not what the Bible says it is. The standard should always be the Bible. It has been said of prophecy that if you prophesy or God tells you something and it lines up with scripture, it's unnecessary. And if it doesn't, you throw it out. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? We have what we need in the word. In the Bible, it wasn't every Christian that heard from God. It wasn't as normal and everyday as so many say it is. He gave us scripture for a reason. That is his voice for all of us to hear, words spoken for each one of us to benefit from. Someone said, if you want to hear God's voice, read your Bible, and if you want to hear it audibly, read it out loud. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Here, time is broken up into before Christ and after Christ. There was a long ago when he spoke through the prophet and in many portions and in many ways, and there are the last days after Christ was crucified and raised again when he has spoken to us in his Son. There are people who are saying that they are the fulfillment of Malachi, 
with Elijah coming back. The newest, Bill Hammond, says that the NAR prophets are the fulfillment of Malachi. Malachi 4, 5-6 says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Jesus said that was fulfilled with John the Baptist, but Bill Hammond says that the prophets are being reactivated and they are the fulfillment of Malachi. He also says that God told him in a vision to write a book, so he did. How is that not on par with scripture? How can you look at that book to which he says was commissioned by God and not say this should be added to scripture? I really don't see a difference of the weight we would put into God inspiring something written and God inspiring something written. So what do you do with that? Jude 1, 3 through 4 says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down for the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. We are told to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to us. It says that there are people who turn the grace of God into excessive indulgence in liberty and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. When someone is ungodly, they are acting in a way that shows their lack of respect for God. When we deny Christ, we are rejecting Him as our Lord and Savior, replacing Him with themselves and their appetites. You can call on the name of Jesus and do things like cast out demons and such in his name and still not be saved because you don't have him as the head of you. You're not putting him as Lord of your life. Matthew seven fifteen through 23 says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Their fruit is the doctrine they speak, the things that show you their heart and where it lies. You can look at the things that they do, and in many cases that can be telling, but so many times you have to hear the things they say in order to see where their treasures lay. When numerology is being pushed, grave soaking and card readings, we see the occult influences rearing their ugly head. From the Enneagram to astral projections, it begins to look a lot like the New Age. Who is their allegiance to? 
Romans 16, 17, and 18 says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. It says they are slaves of their own appetites, and with their smooth, flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. The NAR teachers teach that you must bind and rebuke, declare and decree. They say healing is always guaranteed. You can claim your car and your house and your bank account to have more money. You can sow a seed and God will give you even more. It's up to you. When you do, don't ask for it, claim it. And do it without doubt. When we read Psalms, we see that the psalmist asks. He asks with reverence and fear of the Lord, knowing God's character and expecting God to listen and answer according to his will, which the psalmist doesn't pretend to know. Jesus, who is God, prays, God, will you let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours. He says to ask, to seek, and to knock. We are modeled over and over again the model of inquiry to God. Galatians 3, 1-3 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The Holy Spirit didn't come because we called him. It wasn't having the right thought life, the right rituals, the things we do aren't what makes him work, and we don't need to allow him to work in the world. There is no formula to get the Holy Spirit aside from belief and trust in him. No magical incantation said a certain amount of times, no activation done by human hands. He works, he comes, he allows, he empowers and emboldens as he sees fit. They use the verse, touch not God's anointed, to put a block up when questioned, and for so many it works. You hear that you have a religious spirit if you quote scripture or question what they're saying, or you're called a Pharisee when in fact the Pharisees were the ones going beyond scripture. And when they were rebuked, they were rebuked because they weren't sticking to the word of God, but putting burdens on people that no one could attain. They also didn't have their faith in God. They did things in order to be seen by men, and it wasn't to please the Lord. There is a line of people that are looked at in high regard in the NAR. We can't get into all of them right now because it would take far too long. One's name is Smith Wigglesworth who was known for his abuse while dealing with sick people. One time, it was throwing a baby against the wall and kicking it like a soccer ball. Dr. Michael Brown, who promotes Smith Wigglesworth, and who so many people follow, adamantly rejects that there even is such a thing as a movement called the NAR. He stands up for all of these people. He promotes people like Sid Roth with the It's Supernatural show, Todd Bentley, who has taken after Smith Wigglesworth, and I will get into more of that in a little while, and Jenny and Ken Hodge from a place called Christ Alignment. They go to New Age get-togethers, do destiny readings with prophecy cards, 
which are tarot card readings, and they refuse to use the name of Jesus for fear of upsetting someone, while at the same time they say they are bringing people into encounters with Jesus, which they call spirit. How is this not just New Age practices? Truthfully, I see Dr. Michael Brown as extremely dangerous because he's really, really smart and knows the Word of God well. He knows what to say and what truth is, and then he stands in the gap for these people. He, he openly promotes Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth said that when he was dealing with sick people, he wasn't at that point dealing with a person. He was dealing with a demon. When he healed people, it involved methods such as punching, slapping, hitting, and kicking. A man named Todd Bentley, which I was talking about a minute ago, has latched on to Smith Wigglesworth's teachings, and there are videos of him talking about kicking a lady in the face with his biker boot, amongst so many other things. These are the people that are looked up to in the NAR, the ones looked at as holy and spirit-filled, if they are filled with a spirit, I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. The things that I'm telling you, I've heard from the mouths of the ones who said it. It's easy to find and see for yourself. I don't have the room in the description area of the podcast to reference all of it. This is only a very tiny tip of the iceberg. Jude 1, 8 through 16 says, Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones, to execute judgment among all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Jude called these false teachers dreamers for their use of dreams and visions as their source for prophecy and their teachings. One sign of a false teacher is that he thinks he can go up against Satan. Nowhere in scripture are we taught to bind, rebuke, or talk to Satan. It said they defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. That's talking about demons. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, didn't dare pronounce a railing judgment against him, but said the Lord rebuke you. When Jesus, who is God, dealt with Satan while on earth, 
he did so with scripture. This group takes too lightly the power of Satan and his angels. They reject the authority of the rank of the demons and think they are stronger. These people are claiming as Christians we all have authority over Satan and demons. But even the Archangel Michael didn't claim that kind of authority. He didn't rely on his own authority or power. He relied on God's. And why, if we have the authority to bind Satan, is he not bound already? How come all of them are not bound already? Why can't you just say, I'm going to bind all of them and they're just bound? Who's letting them loose again? Why do you have to keep binding them over and over again? To take the way of Cain is to defy God and his prescribed worship and ways. It is doing as you wilt and acting out your own sinful passion. That is satanic. It is literally a channeled part of the satanic laws. Do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. That's something that is all too common in the flesh. They not only command Satan and demons, but they also command God. They command healings and the dead to be raised. There's so much more that could be said and revealed about these leaders. If you want to know more, you don't have to look very far. The things that I'm talking about in this are just bizarre and so easily one could toss them out as nonsense. But when you research this and look at the people that are highly looked at in the NAR, what they say and videos that they themselves promote, you start to see the danger of it all. People pretend to shoot up the Holy Spirit, as in with a needle, snort the Holy Spirit smoke the Holy Spirit, and get drunk on the Holy Spirit. I'm not joking. There are lawsuits filed and people hurt. There are scandals that are shown and great hurts being done by this group. I'm looking forward to the third American gospel because it's going to talk about all of this stuff, or at least a big portion of it. One thing that I've noticed is that it's absolutely emotionalism. It draws you and captivates you, but you're never fulfilled in your longing for more. That's why I listened to Todd White for a long time. I, I liked that he was so full of emotion, it made me feel good. He seemed so in love with Jesus, but as I learned, it was a different Jesus altogether. He preached a different gospel, which can't save. It was about feelings and experience and healing and um, doing over biblical truth, and for me at least, it was super saddening. These people have such longing and desire, and they're never able to fill it. They aren't content. They cry out for more and more and more. It binds them, and this is why I say it's legalistic. Second Thessalonians 2, 9-12 through 12 says, That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they didn't receive the love of the truth, so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence, so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all be judged, who didn't believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. You must do and do and do to be saved, is what they say. They take pleasure in the things they do and not in submission to Christ. It's Jesus plus a host of things. Jesus plus healings. Jesus plus anointings. Jesus plus trips to heaven and visions and manifestations. 
It's just never-ending. It's exhausting just thinking about it. It's no wonder that they aren't just completely depleted by the end of these gatherings. Emotionally, mentally, and physically exhausted. James 4, 13-16 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a, a city, and spend a year there, and engage in business, and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Romans 8, 5 through 6 says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Our mind is to be set on heaven and truth, not on what we can get in this life. We are to be learning God's will and his ways, being a disciple. We are to speak of scripture and love scripture and treasure it, teach others and share with them the hope that we have in Christ. Galatians five sixteen through 26 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. I heard an analogy of the NAR the other day. I don't remember where it was from, but they said it was like a bunch of people playing a role-playing game. When you look at all of the rituals and what they say they are doing with them, it's totally like a real-life RPG. You have powers and prophetic clothing and jewelry and artwork, anointed objects and activated abilities, fighting Satan and demons. You can buy, you know, different titles. I was listening to Francis Schaeffer the other day, and he was speaking against the liberal pull to utopianism. The idea that in this fallen world we could have any type of utopia is a very unbiblical idea, yet so fitting when you look at the NAR. The idea that anyone professing to know scripture and the fallen state of this world would think that they could in fact create a utopia on this side of eternity is beyond me. The Seven Mountain Mandate and Dominion Theology essentially is the same liberal utopian idea that's been played over and over again except for this time it has a veneer of Christendom. They use the words but contradict the meanings, 
and in doing so are simply trying to bypass God in his timing. They are trying to create for themselves paradise instead of waiting for God to bring them there. They are in essence trying to bring in paradise without God. Acts 3.19 says, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. When we look at the NAR, we see people teaching that we are little gods, that we have the power to speak things into existence, that God isn't always in control, and that we can do when God cannot. They tend to bring Jesus down and bring themselves up. We hear them say things like, Holy Spirit is like the genie from Aladdin, and Jesus asks them for forgiveness. This is all just from Bethel, from grave soaking to prophecy card readings. This is a small glimpse of what is taught, all completely unbiblical. So much of what is taught in the NAR comes from other avenues like Kenneth Copeland and his prosperity preaching. They adapt it and use it. They twist it and entwine it with their theology while promoting them. There used to be a defined line between the NAR and prosperity gospel, at least so I thought there was, the word of faith and the new age, but unfortunately more and more the line is getting blurred, which just makes it harder to know what you are looking at. In meshing together all of these different ideologies, it's almost as if they are blurring the lines to such a degree that they are just making one giant form that calls itself Christian, yet doesn't have much to do with Christ. I am praying for these leaders and their followers. I pray that God takes them out of this and into his loving arms. We need to war against the lies that are being spread in these groups and not accept the teachings as another way. This is all super dangerous. There are real people and real souls at stake. Listening to their music is fueling them. It leads people to their churches and their deception. It funds them and spurs them on. And when you hear people like Bill Johnson say he's doing it on purpose, he uses his music to get people into his church. You can start to see how, by listening to their music, you are drawing people to them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you use imperfect people, that you don't keep us where we are, but you help us to grow and to become more like you every day. Help us to pray for the people that need to know you, Lord, the ones that are caught in deception and need to find a place of truth where they can learn and grow to be more like you. Help us to be a guidance with them. Help us to help to nourish them with your word. Help us to be more like you every day, Lord. Help us to love others rightly and love you rightly. We thank you that you sent your son down to die on the cross for our sins so that our sins may be wiped away, Lord. Help us to be a light to the people around us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.